Welcome to the Be Well at USASC podcast. My name is Peter Headley. I serve as the Director of Student Affairs and Services at the University. This podcast is for all members of the University of Saskatchewan community. Each week, members of the USASC community will join me to share ideas and provide guidance on all aspects of being well. And we'll be highlighting campus initiatives and resources designed to engage and support you. In these challenging times, we hope the ideas and information we share will help. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Alana Holt, who's the lead psychiatrist for the USAS Student Wellness Center. In this episode, as part of our series focusing on mental health during Mental Health Week in May 2020, we're going to be talking about how the current COVID situation is affecting mental health in broad terms and the potential for an echo pandemic of mental health issues in the months to come. Dr. Holt also shares tips and strategies for managing your own mental health now and in the future, as well as some opportunities that the current situation presents to improve our mental health. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Holt. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for inviting me, Peter. So not everyone knows the difference between a a psychiatrist and a counselor and a psychologist. Can you start off explaining what that difference is and perhaps um, a little bit about the work you typically do to support students' mental health? Oh, for sure. A psychiatrist actually is a medical doctor. They attend medical school and then do a five-year residency program in the specialty of psychiatry. We learn various therapeutic modalities, but in addition to that, have diagnostic learnings and skills and prescribe medications. And the prescribing of medications is, is one of the bigger differences as well. So we do sort of a combination of therapy and and medications, so biological and psychological treatments. We work closely with other counselors who can be variably trained from either psychology to social work to educational psychologists. So this week, uh, May the 4th to the 10th, is Mental Health Week. Um, How do you see this as having a different meaning given what's happening in the world right now with COVID-19, especially regarding social isolation? Well, interestingly, um, Mental Health Awareness Week always brings mental health to the forefront, but it seems to me that this COVID pandemic is bringing mental health and wellness to the forefront as one of its main topics of discussion. How do we maintain wellness during periods of social isolation? And social isolation can be uh a barrier to mental health as we're wired for connection, and we know this. So it takes effort and a little bit of creative planning to remain socially connected, particularly if you live alone. And this is really important during the time of COVID to stay well. And so one of the things that that I'm aware of uh, as part of the work that I do, and certainly the part of the work that you do, is around stigma relating to acknowledging mental health issues and either a willingness or sense of permission to access support. Can you talk a little uh, about your perspectives on stigma around mental health and perhaps how that's changed during the course of your career? Absolutely. So we know that one in five Canadians live with a mental illness and mental illness affects individuals from all races and cultures, ages, educational levels, professions and economic status. And yet stigma still prevails. I do feel that over the course of my career, but also uh, generally speaking, I feel that stigma is improving with our younger generations, our young adults and our youth. And 
Consequently, they're more apt to seek treatment in a timely fashion. The challenge with stigma is that it leads to self-stigmatization, which can worsen an individual's experience and lead to more guilt or shame and lead to isolation, secrecy, and a delay in seeking treatment. I do hope this is improving with education on mental illness because knowledge is power and knowledge creates awareness and reduces stigma overall. These are highly treatable conditions, so this is an important barrier to overcome, certainly. And you talk about the the younger generation now, um, I, I, and I think that's an acknowledgement that there are greater barriers for older generations. And what do you think some of the roots of that are, and, and maybe that's specific to this part of the world? Well, I think it's uh, very much the socialization of males versus females and how we carry our emotions and certain families have more of an emotional language than others. Uh, you know, certain cultures and countries have ideas about what it looks like to express emotions. And men tend to externalize and women tend to internalize feelings. But women tend to connect more for supports and men tend to carry their pain or their challenges. And hence, it can lead to some delay in seeking treatment. Again, over time, and part of this is education awareness and the transitioning to the younger generations, I think this is improving and knowledge and awareness certainly helps. But it's really important for men and women because mental illness affects both to reach out for support when they need it. And maybe maybe just to touch on that help-seeking behaviours, I think it's clearly acknowledged when it comes to something like suicidality that there is an impact on, on both men and women, but actually that the statistics suggest to us that three quarters of those who die by suicide are men. Could you just sort of reflect upon what, what your experience looks like in, in treating men versus women? And, and mm-hmm. I, I think you've touched upon some of the difficulties for men in particular. Mm-hmm. And and actually, that is quite a true statistic. Part of it is men delay treatment. So they may or may not be even connected with mental health care at the time of suicidal thoughts or suicidal acts. But in addition to the severity of their illness often being quite extreme by the time they get connected, they tend to be more aggressive in their acts of suicide. So Women actually attempt suicide three times more often than men, but men complete suicide three times more often than women. And part of that is that they choose more aggressive means to suicide, so their attempt completion rate is far higher. And I guess it's important uh, now for men to be having conversations about their own mental health. And I, I say that as someone myself who's been very happy and supported with some good treatment. I also contributed recently to a book a friend and colleague, Alan Kayla, wrote called Mental Health, It's Time to Talk, where a number of men share their stories and, and uh, two women as well about the way they support men. So I think there is an increasing appetite for men to share, but also What are some of the difficulties you feel around the idea of the vulnerability that's involved in in sharing, but also seeking care? 
there's vulnerability in connecting with people in general, but there is vulnerability in navigating your way through a mental health system and getting connected to the right mental health care and then sharing some painful experiences. So this creates challenges for both men and women, young and old. It can be a challenging process. So returning to the current COVID situation, in the media, there's been quite a bit of talk about the potential for an echo pandemic, as it's being called, of mental health issues months from now. What do you see as the potential for this? And are there ways in which we can be preparing for it or maybe even avoiding it um, with what we do now? Absolutely. So we do know that there's a lot of anticipatory anxiety attached with COVID-19. And part of this is the uncertainty, the uncertainty of how this pandemic spreads, the uncertainty of and the fear that ourselves or our loved ones may be impacted by COVID-19 and potentially the grief that this may lead to if we lose our loved ones uh, related to COVID-19. So anxiety, fear, the social isolation can certainly impact mood states and lead to increased rates of depression. And then in addition to that, both our healthcare professionals and society at large, if if they're exposed to recurrent traumas, losses, griefs, there is the potential for acute stress reactions or PTSD from this. So I think as we walk through this pandemic, it's very important to be very mindful of the emotional experiences that we may experience, understand that many of them are expected experiences and that they're very human experiences. It's important that we reach out to others with courage and vulnerability to connect and that we connect with compassion and kindness to ourselves and to other people, given our unique experiences within the pandemic. And so we're seeing a lot of uh, content online right now, um, some some better than others. And I think part of our message um, on this podcast is has always been to, to seek quality information, uh, but also avoid certain information if it's causing issues. But there's lots of well-intentioned posts online um, with tips for managing your mental health at this time. Um, so from your clinical perspective, what are some of those strategies that you would recommend? So strategies I would recommend would be from a biological, psychological, and social perspective. So biologically, uh, the things that we would recommend is if you are taking medications or seeing a mental health care professional, continue with this and continue with the treatments that you are receiving. Biologically, also exercise is one of the big health inducers. We know that exercise increases dopamine and norepinephrine in the brain, which reduces depression, reduces anxiety, and helps with concentration, focus, and other cognitive symptoms like that. We also know that actually when you exercise with other people, so either a family member who you are, are living with and not isolating from, or a social distance uh, exercise can actually lead to even further elements of wellness through this connection that comes from it. It's really important to manage sleep and it's difficult for people to maintain a schedule, particularly if they're not working at this time or they're not in classes anymore. And sleep, we know, will help promote 
a level of wellness along with nutrition. So these are some of the key ingredients to mental health and wellness from both biological, but also psychological and social. Thankfully, with social media, there are opportunities to connect with your friends virtually. And so if you intentionally do so, this can help reduce some feelings of isolation and loneliness that can worsen mental illness. Yeah, I think that that notion of holistic wellness is is one of the important things I take from that as well, not just thinking about a single thing. I'm go- I know I'm going to be talking in a future episode to Evan King about um, substance use during this time of mm-hmm. social isolation. So I've also been reading lots online about people taking up hobbies, spending more time with loved ones, as you mentioned, and doing more physical activity. Do you think there might be... Um, some real potential opportunities that this period will create in terms of our improving our mental health overall and maybe even in the longer term. Absolutely. I feel that when we are as individuals and humans in a state of change or uncertainty or high stress, being present in the here and now as we respond with our whole being is critical in order to be very intentional about our behaviors and our decisions and our actions and our reactions. And it's easy to slide into maladaptive coping mechanisms like drinking too much or or other substance abuse or other behavioral addictions that can come from these stresses. Uh, even shifts in eating patterns or exercise patterns. But actually, it's also quite possible through this experience for us to grow as individuals and humans and family members and loved ones and, and connect with others if we are very intentional and mindful about how we navigate our way through this COVID pandemic and sort of navigate the uncertainty that it brings I think if we pay attention to our spiritual well-being, our our psychological well-being, and our physical well-being, it will help us grow in this experience and maintain or improve mental health and well-being. Yeah, I think there's, for me, I feel there's lots of potential during this period for us to learn and grow once once the fear subsides a little um, that there is the potential for, for real change in a positive way in the world beyond. Um, I hope so. I hope so. So one of the things that I'm asking all the guests to share is one thing they're doing to be well right now. So perhaps something that brings them joy or a sense of connection. What uh, what would be that thing for you and how do you find that helps? Well, one thing that I'm doing regularly is running or biking with my children and This brings us all physical, emotional, mental well-being along with connection and special time spent together and hopefully habit patterns that can extend forward into the future. And I connect with my friends virtually, both individually and in groups. And I think this is very helpful, too. That's great. So is there a final thought that you'd like to leave listeners with? Well, I I guess I would like to encourage everyone to be very intentional and focused during this pandemic and allow yourself the potential to see the growth that can happen 
during a stressful time like this and pay attention to your physical well-being and your mental well-being and your spiritual well-being and do those things that bring you joy, do those things that bring you connection and have a lot of compassion for yourself and for other people during this time. Well, listen, I, I know how busy you are, so I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Well, thanks again for inviting me, Peter. I wish all the listeners all the best going forward uh, with wellness. And to you also, Peter, stay well during this time. And thanks for the work you're doing in, in increasing awareness of mental health. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Be Well at USASC podcast with me, Peter Headley. And thanks again to Dr. Holt for joining me and sharing. USASC students can connect with the Student Wellness Centre psychiatry team through the contact details and links in the down bar. Students, remember, need a referral from a physician to access services. Please check in again for further episodes and more content related to being well. Please subscribe and share this podcast. You can find us on multiple platforms, including YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. We'd also love to hear from you. Please post comments and questions, and we'll look to include them in future episodes. Also, if there's someone you'd like to see as a guest or a topic you'd like us to cover, or even a reaction to an episode you want to share, please write to us at bewell.podcast at usask.ca. In the next episode in this series relating to Mental Health Week, I'm going to be talking to Evan King, a registered social worker providing mental health support at the USAS Student Wellness Center. We're going to be exploring concerns about how substance use seems to have become a key coping strategy for many people during this period of social isolation, as well as what mindful strategies around substance use look like. So until next time, stay safe and be well.